Welcome to the latest in the Bova News podcast series. Today, we're putting our focus on managing the beef herd. Spring is the time of year when most of the beef cows in the country are calving, which means before long, beef producers will be working to get those mama cows pregnant again. In today's podcast, we'll focus on estrus synchronization programs cow-calf producers can use to get cows bred back in a timely fashion. Visiting with me today is Dr. Jordan Thomas, who's the Assistant Professor and State Beef Reproduction Specialist in the Division of Animal Sciences at the University of Missouri. Dr. Thomas is a Missouri native and University of Missouri alumnus. Having earned his PhD in Animal Sciences with an emphasis in reproductive physiology in 2017, Dr. Thomas maintains an active applied research program in reproductive management of beef cattle, coordinates the breeding program for cattle across the University of Missouri Agricultural Experiment Station Research Center herds and serves as program advisor to the Show Me Select Replacement Heifer Program. The primary research focus of the Thomas Lab is the control of the bovine estrus cycle specifically to facilitate use of reproductive technologies such as timed artificial insemination and embryo transfer. Welcome to the podcast today, Dr. Thomas. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's a, it's a timely topic and so I'm happy to be here talking about it. Yes, perfect. Well, to start off with, can you give us an overview of where the industry stands in terms of estrus synchronization? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I think, honestly, it's underused. Um, So when I look at, you know, use of synchronization and maybe artificial insemination in the dairy industry, um, certainly more commonly used than it is in in the beef side of things. On the dairy side of things, it's very much the norm that cattle receive artificial insemination. Uh, and a lot of use of estrus synchronization to facilitate that, of course. On the beef side of things, we don't necessarily have incredibly good industry um, averages in terms of data that we collect and really report in a standardized way. So it becomes a little more hard to, or a little harder to, to give an, a really precise estimate about the number of cows that are being artificially inseminated every year in the United States. We think it's probably under 10% of beef cows still, or, or somewhere in that range. Um, probably more than that in terms of beef heifers, uh, but really a technology that um, should be used more if we actually look at how profitable it, it really can be. So the advantages of implementing a synchronization program in our beef cow herds, what would be the reason that producers should be looking at this? Well, one is, is certainly if you're trying to use artificial insemination or if you're using a technology like uh, embryo transfer, depending on what, what exactly it is that you're trying to do, you know, use of a synchronization program really facilitates the use of those kinds of technologies because we can group cows together in a, a tighter window of time over which to perform artificial insemination, maybe even do a, a fixed time artificial insemination with no estrus detection. Um, and it, much the same way, it can make an embryo transfer program a lot simpler as well, rather than just observing uh, for heat activity. Now, the, the other piece of it, though, there's a huge benefit of just the synchronization itself. Because what we do with estrus synchronization is we concentrate the amount of breeding that can occur in the very earliest portion of the breeding season. And that has a a lot of commercial relevance, Um, obviously has some relevance to seed stock producers as well. I I often come at things from a very commercial perspective. And so I'm thinking about pounds of calf weaned or something like that. And so if if I think about just the value of getting an animal to have an opportunity to conceive on, you know, either the very first day of the breeding season or very early in the breeding season, that has a tremendous amount of value because at one estrus cycle, you know, of approximately 21 days, 
a difference in calf age of 21 days, considering that a calf will gain oftentimes about 1.6 to 2.4 pounds from birth to weaning, you know, that 21 day difference in age, just even one estrocycle difference might equate to 40 pounds of calf weaning weight. So as we start thinking about moving um, from what has, uh, you know, in some parts of the country become a little bit typical of these long extended calving seasons, as we think about using synchronization to tighten that up and to, to really front load it, there's just a, a, a lot of potential um, calf value that we can add, not only just from a genetic perspective, if we use things like artificial insemination, but just from a management perspective, if we generate earlier pregnancies. So we get this immediate improvement of, you know, pounds of calf wean per cow exposed. We'll see that in a lot of data sets. It'll also appear to keep getting better uh, with successive years of using synchronization as we begin to, you know, achieve even better pregnancy rates early in the breeding season. And the other benefit is, yeah, I always talk about it as if it's a snowball effect, you know, where it keeps building on itself and getting better and better. In, in cows, when we achieve these early pregnancy rates this year, it makes them, you know, more likely to become pregnant early in the breeding season next year as well. So we start to, we start to really move the needle on not just production metrics like pound of calf, pounds of caffeine per cow exposed or something like that, but also just in terms of our, our pregnancy rates and our pregnancy rates by day of the breeding season. You know, this year's progress sets the stage for next year's progress. Well, what are some of the protocols that beef producers can use? Let's move into, do certain protocols fit certain systems better? What do you see moving forward? It depends on the goals. You know, I, I always say at the end of the day, this is just a tool or just a technology and, and technologies and, and tools always have costs associated with them. And so apart from the, uh, apart from the context, all these things are just a, a cost, uh, you know, an extra line in the budget. Um, so there's no value associated with synchronization itself. It's just what it helps us do. And, and the same with artificial insemination. Now that said, there are, there are some protocols that really make a lot of sense depending on what situation exactly it is that, that we're in. So for example, even in a situation where maybe a producer isn't interested in using artificial insemination or they don't feel like they can cash flow it um, this year, even some simple synchronization protocols that facilitate you know, a more concentrated window of breeding with natural service bulls that can really be valuable. That could be something as simple as a, a one-shot prostaglandin protocol where bulls are turned in on, you know, um, say four days prior to prostaglandin and then prostaglandin is administered to all cows. That's simple, right? All the cows go through the shoot one time, uh, very straightforward protocol to follow, just one product that's administered. So it's extremely low cost. Um, and the advantages of doing that um, in just a natural service breeding program are really incredible. There's some other you know, situations where with natural service, um, uh, use of a cedar may make some sense. It's a little more expensive, um, but in groups of later calving cows or kind of a challenge set of cows, that can really make a lot of sense. And then of course, if we're trying to facilitate uh, fixed time AI, we have more complicated protocols we can follow that do involve you know, more products being administered, a longer treatment schedule, um, so on and so forth. Uh, but if, if you think about all the value associated with just giving every single op animal an opportunity to become pregnant on the very first day of the breeding season, uh, there's just a lot of value there. Uh, in terms of where you could find out about those, you know, there's a national resource in the Beef Reproduction Task Force that's been around for a number of years now. Uh, they put out protocol sheets that uh, give some recommendations about 
fairly commonly used protocols across the industry. You'll typically find those in the back of an AI stud catalog or um, you know, in a number of different places you can find them on um, uh, the Beef Repro website that that task force runs. Of course, MEU Extension also has a lot of um, similar types of publications where we give some recommendations on synchronization systems or, um, you know, we have one associated with synchronization with natural service or use of sex semen and things like that. So there's a lot of resources out there. And if you're interested in, in you know, taking the first step down that path, um, just, just let us know how we can help you. It appears that a lot of the protocols will involve some different handling of animals. Can you talk a little bit about handling or facility prerequisites or things that you've seen that have been successful? Well, it, that is a real consideration. And, you know, it's a it's a real consideration, especially in the Western United States, where maybe we're on range conditions or pretty extensive situations. You know, in, in Missouri, um, I, I often joke that, gosh, if, if any producers in the country ought to be using this kind of stuff, it's probably us and, and producers in the South, you know, where we have pretty high stocking rates and maybe we're somewhere in the range of, you know, two to six acres per cow. We have a lot of access to cattle um, and, and really ought to be able to get them up pretty easily for some of these systems. And of course, in the West, you know, it's maybe a, a different situation, especially if grazing public lands or something like that is involved and it's just difficult to pull cattle up. So when, when thinking about which tool makes sense in what context, you know, all of those things factor in uh, the, the pasture situation, the range conditions, the handling required to get animals up. And, and then one is facilities. So in terms of facilities, you know, it doesn't really take a lot to pull off an AI program, but you got to be able to handle animals. And so that um, it doesn't have to be anything incredibly fancy. Um, and it doesn't necessarily even have to be permanent facilities. Um, I've, you know, had the opportunity to do a lot of work in the Dakotas over the years and uh, a number of the situations that we have bred cows in up there on research trials have involved just the use of, you know, entirely portable setups to conduct an AI program. And if you think about the value of that, if you can, you know, spread that cost of a wheel corral across multiple, um, you know, herds or multiple groups, uh, that can really be a very cost-effective way to carry out an AI program. Another one, of course, it's uh, it's entirely possible to just carry out an AI program with a standard squeeze shoot or standard shoot. Doesn't again, it doesn't have to be something extremely fancy. But one thing that can make it go really quickly is the use of a portable AI breeding barn. And there's a there's a couple different manufacturers of of those. The the one that probably is is most commonly seen is the the one uh, made by Larges. And, and that is a, just an excellent tool because you can, you can take that really anywhere and, and back that up to portable facilities or permanent facilities and be able to have two technicians working simultaneously. Um, in most cases, it's a two stall design where you can have two cows staged for AI at the same time. Uh, we just have really a lot of, a lot of neat opportunities to, to do AI and do it on large, uh, you know, more extensive conditions. So, so hopefully we can overcome some of these limitations of how much AI we're actually using in the beef industry. Let's move on and talk a little bit about using this technology in different groups. So is synchronization useful in first calf heifers? Absolutely. You know, and, and I, wish that, um, I wish that we had a different mentality about first calf heifers. So when I, when I say the term first calf heifers, sometimes people mean different things. I'm talking about heifers that have had their very first calf already. So a two-year-old cow with their first calf inside. And that is often our, what we consider our challenge, our, you know, our biggest challenge on the ranch is getting those first calf peppers bred back. 
that's often a system problem. Um, in other words, it's a problem that has multiple causes and it's hard to address with any one thing. You know, our heifer selection practices really play into that. Are we, are we keeping later conceiving heifers that are going to have a harder time breeding back anyway? And can we, can we adjust that? You know, are we developing heifers appropriately so that they calve at the appropriate body condition and they, uh, they can maintain that condition and, and are provided enough nutrition post-calving to maintain that condition and, and breed back effectively? You know, there's a lot of considerations for how to get good pregnancy rates and first calf heifers, but synchronization is a really nice opportunity uh, for that age class specifically, even if our results are a little bit worse than we may get in, in the running age cows or mature cows. First calf heifers really are often challenged in whether they're even cycling or not at the start of the breeding program or at the start of the breeding season. And so using an estrus synchronization program that involves a progestin, whether that's a, a seven-day co-sync plus cedar or a, you know, a, a seven and seven sync protocol, or it's a, even a 14-day cedar protocol in first calf heifers, it can be very effective. We've you know, published some research along those lines at Missouri. So really good systems to at least get a service accomplished in those first calf heifers on the very first day of the breeding season. And then also, even if we don't, you know, achieve incredibly good AI pregnancy rates in first calf heifers. It's important to remember that, you know, really our goal is to, to move forward when they are conceiving during the breeding season. And so even if we don't get them to conceive to, to artificial insemination on the first day of the breeding season, um, by inducing cyclicity in those females with a progestin-based protocol. So typically we're talking about a protocol that involves a cedar that cedar is so helpful for just shifting them to conceive earlier in the breeding season. If they don't conceive the AI, they still stand a better chance of conceiving to that, that next uh, estrus, uh, you know, 21 days later. And what about those in estrus cows? What are some of the protocols for getting those cows settled or do sync programs alleviate those issues? Well, that's such an important question because I think it's tempting, you know, to think that all the cows are cycling. And so, you know, we, we, um, we're giving all the cows an opportunity to conceive during a, a 60 day breeding season or something like that. And, and I always try to, to moderate people's expectations about what exactly happens, even in these well-managed breeding programs. You know, we, we're, we're so used to thinking about a quote unquote, well-managed 60 day breeding season, right? Where, where we think that's really short. And in reality, you know, the cow that conceives on the first day of the breeding season and the cow that conceives on the last day of a 60-day breeding season are really different critters by the time we get to next year's breeding season. They just really are because, uh, you know, gestation in cattle is about 280 days. 283 is kind of the official. Uh, it's probably a little shorter. You know, we're using cavity sires and things like that. But, but let's say it's 280 days. Well, if that's the case, to get cattle bred back, you know, on a 365 day kind of interval, I, I, I have to have 85 days uh, or I have to have 85 days or less, right? In which that, that cow is, uh, is non-pregnant or open uh, until she's conceived again for the next year. So that's the calendar that I'm trying to, to stay on. But remember, we're not, we're not giving um, the later calving cow nearly the number of opportunities if we use a, a fixed length breeding season because if she calves on the last day of the calving season, she has a very short period of time, essentially 25 days until the start of the next breeding season. And after 25 days, in, in all likelihood, that cow has not yet resumed normal estrous cycles. 
And that's even a, even a well-managed situation. So then we throw on some challenges about, you know, body condition, um, you know, nutrient status, things like that. Then we're really challenged. And, and so there's a portion of that next breeding season that even in from a well-managed breeding season, shorter calving season of 60 days, there's a proportion of the cows that just are not even cycling at the start of that next breeding season and may only have one or two opportunities to conceive at all during that next breeding season. And that's a problem. That's a problem in terms of, you know, not giving cows enough opportunities to become pregnant because we know we lose some early pregnancies to embryonic loss and we just need multiple opportunities or we're not going to achieve good pregnancy rates. So cows that are in estrus or not cycling at the start of the breeding program, they are, are really an opportunity uh, from the standpoint of using synchronization, they are really an opportunity to improve our results for the whole herd because by using a progestin, even in those cows that are shorter postpartum and are the later calving group, we can induce that cyclicity to begin occurring. And, and you know, we may not get them to conceive to AI. They are gonna have lower pregnancy rates on average in most cases than our cycling cows did. But by getting them induced to start cycling uh, very early in that breeding season, now we've got more opportunities total to get them to conceive during that breeding season. And so that's a, just a huge benefit of synchronization is those cows specifically. Now, what is the investment? and frankly, the return on investment for using any of the synchronization programs? Yeah, a great question. And I go back to that idea that, you know, at the, at the end of the day, these, these things are a cost. Um, and so the question is, how do you use them to generate return? Uh, and that's really context dependent, right? And so that's, um, you know, if, if for example, um, I'm gonna use synchronization, but then I'm going to allow an extended length breeding season of, you know, three to four months, and I'm not going to market later conceiving cows. Um, you know, I, I think there's probably still some benefit to using synchronization there, but, but gosh, I'm not gonna capture most of the benefit. And so really these things start to have value and a lot of value when we package them together with a lot of good reproductive management in general. So if, if for example, you look at some of the big, you know, multi-year case studies that have been done um, either at, uh, you know, some of the data that I really like a lot has come out of um, my predecessor's group at the University of Missouri, Dave Patterson. And he did a lot with the Thompson Research Center in Northwest Missouri and, and moved that herd from a natural service program over sequential years to using fixed time artificial insemination and really showed the impact of what happens to when calves are born during the, the calving season, what happens to the calving distribution in those herds and what kind of value was added. And it's a tremendous amount of value. Another really nice, um, another really nice data set comes out of uh, the Florida Panhandle at the North Florida Research and Education Center. Uh, Vitor Mercadente is at Virginia Tech now, um, a really good guy and a good researcher, good, uh, good teacher, good, good extension specialist, just good at everything he does. Um, has has a publication where he, he talks through the the use of not only synchronization, but really just good reproductive management in general, you know, wiser mentality about heifer selection, wiser mentality about culling, and just what happened over, uh, I believe it's six or seven years of, of beginning to use synchronization and, and implement some of this reproductive management. What happened to the profitability of that cow-calf herd um, as a result of that? And it's, it's substantial, and it's a substantial improvement even in the first year, but the really interesting part of that data set is that 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 return uh, potential of these technologies continues to build in subsequent years. And so over the course of, uh, I 
I think it's a six or seven year data set, they continued to add value on a you know, per Kathleen basis through the use of this synchronization AI, good reproductive management, by just continuing to shift, you know, when calves are born during the season and, and getting them to conceive earlier. The other, the other piece of that is that, you know, we potentially add a lot of genetic merit. Uh, we potentially, depending on our sire selection programs, if we're using artificial insemination, you know, we, we may be adding a tremendous amount of genetic merit to animals, depending on where, where our starting point is. So it gets hard to give a very specific um, answer for return on investment because it partly depends on, you know, where do we start? But in terms of the investment itself, you know, if we're going to talk about a single shot prostaglandin protocol with natural service, that may be as, as something as simple as, you know, three to four dollars for that prostaglandin um, and essentially whatever cost we want to count for labor to get that, um, you know, prostaglandin product administered or get cattle gathered to do that. That's a, that's a relatively straightforward cost structure um, and, and fairly inexpensive for what it actually accomplishes. And we can go up um, and, and, and scale up that cost, of course, and look at our fixed time AI systems where we have a cedar, which may be somewhere between 10 and $14 now, a you know a dose of prostaglandin, uh, $3 to $4, a dose of GnRH, somewhere in that same range, $3 to $4. So we've added some costs in that case. Let's say we're in the $20 plus range. Then whatever we have as a cost for semen, often somewhere in that, you know, ten to thirty dollar range as well. So let's say twenty. There's forty, uh, and then maybe some arm service and some labor to accomplish that. It might cost fifty dollars to service cows artificially, uh, and and generate that synchronization program to do that. But the return on investment potential of that fifty dollars is is really high, especially when we think about you know, the ability to potentially use fewer natural service bulls to then cover those cows and, and what that can actually do to the cost structure of the whole breeding program. So this really is a mindset shift for a lot of producers out there. How does a producer get started? Is this something where your veterinarian should be involved at least initially? Well, it's always good to involve your veterinarian. You know, I think, I think we, um, we as an industry um, probably ought to change this culture of of under-involving veterinarians in our programs. I think, I think often we are at, we're trying to avoid calling them because we know it has a, a price tag associated with it. And I, I appreciate that uh, just as much as anybody does, but, but gosh, some of our vets in particular just have really a lot of good information and really understand um, production systems. And, and we could, we could use them a lot, a lot more than we do. We have some veterinarians in the state of Missouri that um, just are exceptional at offering some really good uh, production advice and uh, at doing a little bit of data management, trying to generate some standardized reports. And um, they're happy to get involved in, you know, um, culling decisions or what I call often more strategic marketing decisions or um, heifer selection decisions. That so uh, veterinarians really should be part of the program. I think. Um, and it's a shame if we if we don't use them to the full potential that we could, because there, there are some good ones out there, especially when it comes to some of the services that a veterinarian can provide. You know, um, a lot of this uh, progress that we make with synchronization, we make even faster if we make some wise marketing decisions or wise culling decisions about cows. And, and we can do that with pregnancy diagnosis. That's really our, our big tool to make progress. You know, if a, if a veterinarian goes in, does a pregnancy diagnosis, let's say, uh, you know, somewhere in the range of 90 days after the start of the breeding season, 
that veterinarian could uh, with ultrasound visualize all the pregnancies that occurred over a 60-day breeding season. And, and we can begin to make some decisions about, you know, did this cow that conceived on day 60 of the breeding season, is am I really better off marketing that cow this year as a bred cow rather than uh, waiting until she's open and has weaned the, the smallest calf in the group next year uh, before she's marketed? So we can, we can begin to take ownership. And, and you're right, it is, a, it is a mindset shift because now we're thinking about the cost structure of the operation in a different way. Uh, we're being more strategic about which cows uh, are invited back next year to, to remain a, employees of the operation. And, uh, and it is a different mindset. That's great to remain employees of the operation. Can you just talk to us a little bit today uh, as we round out our program about your Mizzou Repro program and where people can go to find more information? Yeah, so the University of Missouri really has a, a history of strong research and strong extension in terms of reproductive management of cattle. And we do a lot of, a lot of good research on the basic physiology side of, of reproduction as well. Um, in terms of my specific program, um, you know, we, uh, because of the level of interest we have in reproductive management systems in Missouri, um, and, and our, our history as a department and, and being pretty active in extension and research, uh, we really view ourselves as having a, a national presence and trying to be a, a center for, where individuals across the country and really across the world can come for information. And so with, um, with the Mizzou Repro pages, um, so I maintain a YouTube channel, maintain a, a Facebook page and, and website and uh, Instagram, and I'm not very active on Twitter, but I have a Twitter too. And so uh, we'll put out some things um, through there, you know, very short videos that are intended to, um, you know, increase comfort with things like um, putting in a cedar or something like that, you know, and so if that's something that you have never done before, um, it, at least I know that if I, uh, if I'm going to go fix something on my car, right, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to watch a YouTube video. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit down and read a, a 30 page manual on how to do it. I'm going to hopefully see somebody do it in, in a couple of minutes. And I, I take the same mentality when it comes to some of these synchronization tools. Um, so we, we have some videos on, you know, how to, how to administer prostaglandin appropriately or GnRH appropriately, how to handle a cedar so that, you know, we don't create some risk of vaginitis or anything like that. Um, and then also some bigger picture things about, you know, what is the value of, of shifting the calving distribution and having calves born earlier in the season? What is the value of early pregnancy diagnosis? What, when and um, you know, when should that be done and, and what can be learned from doing it at different time points? Uh, things like, you know, reproductive tract evaluation in heifers or pelvic measurement in heifers. Um, so there's a lot on there. Um, I'm pretty proud of, of what we have put together there and, and try to maintain some engagement uh, there. In, in addition to that, though, um, we also have a, just a number of new uh, University of Missouri Extension publications on reproductive management. Um, and so a lot of what we've talked about today um, is available in, in more of a print format as a publication. So if you're interested in, you know, synchronization systems for natural service or synchronization systems that work really well with uh, sex semen, uh, you can find some of that on uh, extension.missouri.edu. We also talked through some, you know, we have a publication on facilities, which we mentioned today. Um, there's there's a lot on there, even just some you know metrics to to be watching for how to calculate those, 
um, understanding some of the nutritional implication or uh, nutritional management systems that we really need to have and what the implications of those are for fertility. Um, so yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot there. Um, if you're interested just in some of the more popular press kind of things I write to, those are all on missourypro.com. Uh, so just refer to that. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Thomas. We appreciate it. Uh, you have so much expertise to share in this arena of this exciting technology. And again, check them out at mizzourepro.com. This wraps up our Bova News podcast for today. If you like what you heard, be sure to follow Bova News on your favorite podcast subscription service. And while you're at it, go ahead and follow us on the various social media platforms and subscribe to our YouTube page. And be sure to check out our website, bovanews.com, for more information and alerts to upcoming podcasts and webinars. This has been your host, Kim Bremmer. And from everyone at Bova News, have a great day.